today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. A lot of chatter about long-term care, and we certainly know how this has uh, affected our senior population. So a, a group of doctors and, and professionals have gotten together and, uh, you know, are obviously lobbying government to, to make some changes. Uh, some of the nine objectives that this group talks about is uh, ending for-profit long-term care homes, hiring more qualified staff, minimum pay standard for frontline uh, long-term care staff, uh, ensure 70% of the staff uh, are full-time, allow essential caregivers unrestricted entry into uh, long-term care uh, with the proper PPE, establish a partnership between hospitals, uh, keep hospital teams on standby, call upon the military if required, and accelerate uh, vaccination rollout into uh, long-term uh, care homes. We're going to try to focus on ending uh, for-profit long-term care homes and, and where that is in this discussion. Let's bring in Masha Lander, Senior Lecturer of Economics at Concordia University, and is with us now. Moshe, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. My pleasure. Uh, first, let's, uh, let's talk about the term long-term care and what would fall under that umbrella. I, I mean, it's, it's all of those facilities that we're seeing right now on TV, right? It's, it's where the pandemic seems to be hitting the most. I think all of us are familiar with the idea of kind of like seniors' homes and residences and things like that, where you're, you're basically talking about people that are there on a more or less permanent sort of basis, right? They might have kind of in and out sort of privileges, but uh, I, I think that most of us can kind of imagine that that's as opposed to kind of a, a temporary sort of facility. So how many of these are public? How many of these are private? Um, you know what, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but I can tell you that, of course, it does differ on a province-to-province basis, right? And so partly that's going to be where the provinces put their healthcare allocations and their budgets into, um, you know, what they uh, want to devote to that um, particular portion of the, the population. And that's partly going to be driven by demographics, right? Clearly, provinces that have younger, more dynamic populations aren't going to have as much invested in those long-term facilities. Um, so uh, would long-term care pretty much include anything from, say, a, a nursing home right the way through to the, the most possible care you could find? Absolutely. You know, as, as kind of a general sort of uh, blanket definition, yeah, that, that's pretty much hitting on it. So many are asking for the, to end for-profit long-term care homes. Is that the answer? Is um, you know, I'm thinking about the, the, the difficult situation that the healthcare system is in anyway, uh, just trying to survive. Can we afford to put long-term care under that uh, umbrella? Is this the answer? So here's where I'm much more comfortable answering your question, and that is, no, that's not the answer. It seems like it's the answer. It seems like a good answer, but it's not. The, the fact is that if you take these out of private hands, what you're effectively saying is that you want it run by the government. The problem with having it run by the government is that it has to be paid for then by the government. And that yeah. means that the government is going to have to collect money in taxes. And the fact is that I think most Canadians are already complaining that we're overtaxed. And so you're either going to have to take uh, existing tax dollars and divert it from other things, in which case you and I will be talking a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, about problems of shortages of funding in those particular areas, or they're going to have to increase the amount of taxes that we pay already and if we're already complaining about what we're getting in terms of bang for our buck, uh, that's probably not the optimal solution. 
Uh, obviously, it was the very first uh, uh, suggestion on this list of nine. Many are making this sound like this is the only answer. That the problem is there's people trying to make money off of this, and that's why these people are neglected. Is that accurate? Yes and no. Okay, so um, the the thing is that the province or any province or any government can dictate standards. And when you read off the list of nine things there, right, a lot of them were recommendations for if you want to run a long-term care facility, then these are the minimum standards you need to reach. So if you said that these are the standards that you need to reach, now you, private sector, go out and pursue profit, they don't gain anything by having their their clientele die on them. But it's a bad PR hit. It's very difficult when you're trying to deal with, you know, what do we do with mom and dad, and maybe we should put them in a long-term care facility, and you go and you, you know, uh, three days since the last death, right? Like, it's it, it's not a good advertisement. So for-profit institutions are, are not neglectful of their clientele. It's that they're merely responding to what are the incentives placed in front of them. And if the province isn't going to dictate clearly what they want achieved, then, yeah, the pursuit of profit is going to say, all right, how do we maximize profits while meeting these standards? You want better standards? Then put in policies that need to be met. Um, So obviously we need better policy here, more strict uh, rules as as opposed to guidelines. Is this not something that should be done right the way across the country? I know, uh, obviously, uh, health is a provincial concern, but, you know, when it comes to standards of life and care, it seems this should be pretty consistent. Absolutely. So the the bare minimum levels are, are something that could very easily be coordinated through the federal government, right? You're right. Health is a provincial matter. But the fact is that, you know, through our Canadian healthcare system, there is some level of federal um, intervention that could be done here to try and make sure that all provinces meet the same basic standard. Provinces can then go based on their own populations and decide, all right, do we want to go even beyond these standards or do we just want to meet the minimum level? It's kind of like the same thing when you're talking about education, right? Every uh, student in Canada has to learn kind of the same basic concepts in elementary school. It's just a matter of that each individual school board can decide, do we want to go further than that um, or do we just want to meet the minimum standards? And and same sort of idea could apply here as well. So why can't we police this? I mean, you know, there's lots of private companies running lots of sensitive things. And, and, you know, we have a process, procedure, protocol in place to make sure that that everybody's doing it correctly and and, and no one is suffering. Why can't we police this and focus on bad actors and move on? We can. We just haven't wanted to, right? It's almost like it's out of sight, out of mind. It's not that in the last 12 months that uh, healthcare facilities have become negligent of the the seniors and and people in long-term care. It's just we've become aware of it. And so our outrage now is not at the conditions. It's that, well, why didn't we know about it sooner? And so I I think that, again, that's that's an issue of bad supervision, that, okay, there's maybe rules in place, and maybe people weren't taking them all that seriously until they start realizing that, wait a second, this virus seems to be having a disproportionate effect if it gets into these long-term care facilities. And so now it's kind of a realization that, oh, wait a second, maybe we need to do a better job of box ticking 
uh, than what we've been doing in the past, or maybe we need to pay more attention and devote some resources to making sure that they're meeting some basic standards that we weren't all that careful about in the first place. How big is this problem? Because it's certainly being presented like the majority of the homes are on fire, that this is, it is hell. Uh, Is it, is that the case? Or is it again, you know, a couple of bad actors that, that just don't seem to be policed? I don't know that it's necessarily a couple of bad actors. I think that it's it's pretty widespread, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that what happens is that, say, once um, a COVID outbreak occurs in one of these facilities, it does seem to go disproportionately after the people within that facility, right? And so um, it's kind of maybe small events generating big sound. It's not to say that it's not a problem. It's not to say that we should ignore it. It's not to say that we're making too big a deal of it. It's just a matter of that when it does happen, it, it, it has devastating effect. And so it, it resonates a lot more. And so I think we maybe paint the brush that, yeah, this is across the board an issue when it's, look, there, there's a problem there, um, but it's maybe not quite as bad as the six o'clock news makes it sound. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. If the government was to take over uh, all of these homes, eliminate the private sector from this, how do we do that? How how do we pay for that? Um, good question. <laughs> it's, Because it seems as if, because the way it's thrown around, uh, it it seems as if, you know, boom, we could do this like this. This is not a big problem. (laughs) I think it's not a big problem to say that the government should take it over. It's once the government goes to take it over that it becomes the problem, right? And that's exactly it. The the government has to pay for this. And right now, we're looking at government deficits for probably a generation ahead of us, um, which means that based on current projections, they're outspending the amount of money they're collecting in revenue. And so if that's what's going on with a private LTC system, what's going to happen if the government takes that over? And of course, remember that if the government takes it over and they decide to implement any sort of cut, can you imagine the type of media that that would generate, that the government is killing grandma uh, by cutting back on this particular uh, aspect of of the LTC system? It, It would be unthinkable. And so you know, governments would have extremely difficult decisions and it would become a highly politicized issue that uh, I, I think that just in the heat of the moment when we're watching what's happening, it sounds right that, well, let the government fix this uh, until we realize that, yeah, the, the government's going to have to come up with tax revenue from some source, whether that's on income, sales taxes, tourist taxes, um, or whatever it might be. Uh, and those are the difficult choices that I don't think we're prepared to make, certainly not right now when all of us are worried about survival uh, rather than, uh, you know, taking kind of a sober look at this. Is this becoming, um, you know, I mean, we got a, a group of prominent doctors here. Is this becoming more political rather than what's good, uh, efficient care? Um, because, again, these doctors must know if you throw this all under the public umbrella, my goodness, it's <laughs> how do you again, is it going to get better or is it going to get worse? It is becoming politicized, and and I think kind of that's probably a general rule across a lot of what we're seeing in society, that, you know, these sorts of uh, discussions are are becoming highly politicized. And even if it's not a left versus right thing, it's, you know, a a small business versus government type thing, or it's uh, unionized doctors versus people working outside of the the unionized healthcare system, you know, so... 
uh, passions run high and social media is a great way to whip up sentiment for whatever position you want to take. And, uh, you know, that, that's exactly where the situation is heading then, that this easily becomes an election issue, say, uh, if we do have one in this year, where you can imagine that the parties on the left are going to want to take a particular position about nationalizing all forms of health care, and parties on the right are going to say, um, no, that's one step too far, because it means big taxes, big government, and uh, government uh, involvement in sectors where they don't necessarily understand what they're involved in. We had the same sort of discussion uh, just a few uh, segments ago in regard to vaccine. Governments don't produce vaccines. They just make it uh, palatable for uh, business to come in and, and make vaccines. And, and it's the sort of, same sort of thing here. Uh, obviously, this is a very – this problem has been around forever. It's been around for decades. It just didn't happen. Uh, obviously, COVID-19 has exposed this vulnerability, as it has with many uh, you know, weak links in, in various chains. Uh, this is a very difficult quick fix, is it not? Is It's a long, we need a long-term solution here. Oh, for sure. It, it, this is not going to be fixed in the next six months. There, there's no amount of legislation that could do it. Even if you could somehow come up with that legislation, the implementation, the monitoring, the amount of time that these uh, facilities would need to be able to either convert to public ownership or to meet the recommendations that you listed at the beginning of this segment, you're talking about something that's going to take years. And of course, what always complicates these things is that what is going to take years is probably longer than the term of any particular government. And Hmm. so while you start going down the path of trying to implement all of these reforms, a new government comes in and says, you know what, change our mind, this is the wrong policy, we're going to go this way. And these poor facilities then, in particular, the residents of these facilities are the ones who suffer because they can't get some consistent level of uh, care that they deserve uh, because the policies are constantly changing. And again, it's one of the reasons why you would almost expect that the private sector should be able to do a better job with the proper guidance, with the proper regulation, with the proper supervision. Um, you know, we look at the, the, the list of suggestions, which I read you and man, most of them are, are, are common sense and, and a lot that we're working towards, uh, already. But then as soon as, you know, you put at the top of that list, we got to get rid of the privatized, uh, long-term care homes and, and just, uh, make the whole system public. Does that discredit the discussion because again that seems to be a far far extreme you know there's lots of things we can do but that seems more political than it does efficient so um when you when you say things like well we got to just government's got to take over the whole thing uh as if it was a pipeline or an airline or a, a petrochemical company um when when we have when when that sort of extremism is brought into the discussion uh d- does it fall on deaf ears it can, especially if it's done uh, repeatedly, right? At some point, you know, diminishing returns kick in and you eventually just kind of tune it out. But it, it could also be merely just a, a bargaining chip that while there's nine recommendations there, this one, of course, being the headline and this one being the most controversial, maybe what you do is you drop that one in exchange for meeting the other eight, right? And so hmm. this becomes then a way that you can get things that you would otherwise maybe not be able to get by putting out that crazy recommendation there, Hmm. uh, it's just not acceptable, right? Or um, maybe this becomes something that 
uh, can actually just stimulate debate where, all right, we're not really going to do it, but it's a trial balloon just to kind of see where public sentiment is. And, sure. you know, in the coming weeks, when people come out and say, okay, you want to turn this into a public system, that's going to cost you X billion dollars, which means that uh, you're going to have to go without your daily latte at Starbucks. Um, you're interested in that. All of a sudden, then you can say, all right, this was merely a recommendation just to kind of see where people are, rather than we really expect that this is going to be implemented. Where do you see this going in, you know, post COVID nineteen in the next year or two? Uh, do you do you see this still being top of mind? No, um, it's it's top of mind right now because, like I said earlier, you know, the same way that it was out of sight, out of mind, this is in sight and front of mind. I, I think that because we're just watching um, in sorrow and in horror when we see that the leading news story is. Uh, COVID outbreak in a particular facility kills a whole bunch of people. And you see all of those pictures of senior citizens that are basically being left and a healthcare staff that's saying, what can we do? Um, that's why it's front of our, our mind right now. But, you know, once you see that these new strains come along and we have new lockdowns or new restrictions, or even once a vaccine comes along and all of us can resume our day-to-day life, I think it's going to go back to exactly what we before where, we weren't really thinking about these long-term facilities, not because that's the right thing to do, but just that's the way that we were living our lives. And I think that once these outbreaks stop happening there, I think we just kind of go back to business as usual. It's sad to say, but I, I kind of think that's what we do. So you don't think the attitudes will change? Because many thought, many have thought, you know, we've been in this so long, we can't come out the other end the same. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think... Every time that we're faced with any sort of crisis, we always say that in the moment, right? Mm. The world will never be the same, right? <laughs> yeah. September 12, 2001, the world will never be the same. Yeah, it's a little more difficult to travel, but you know what? The world went on. After the financial crisis, the world will never be the same, and the world goes on. I, right now, when we're in the middle of a COVID crisis, we're saying the world will never be the same. The world has changed forever. And then five years from now, we're going to say, hey, you remember that COVID outbreak? And you remember how scary it was for that 18 months or two years? Um, but it, it's a pothole in the road of life. And in the moment, uh, you worry for the, the well-being of your car and everybody in it. And after a while, it's just a bump in the road that you continue on. Moshe Landers been with his senior lecturer of economics at Concordia University, talking about long-term care and the business of private versus uh, public. Moshe, thanks so much for the time and insight. Fascinating discussion. Be well. Anytime. Take care. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.